This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. I am Jill. I go by she here. This is a study in literacy. My mind's completely blank right now. <laughs> I'm just staring just to see staring. how it goes. And I'm just listening to my voice in the background and my headphones. It's like, your voice sounds weird. <laughs> Gosh. I'll just feel this is not live then, eh? Yeah, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> we were live last week and it was a total disaster. Yes, this is a study in literacy. I am Luke. I go by he, him. And we have in the studio today... Another another interviewee slash victim. Uh, <laughs> I love the victim. She is a historical fiction writer, blogger, graduate diploma in creative writing, haver, New Zealand Heritage Literary, Literary Awards, shortlist beer, storylines, Tessa Duder, I think Duder, Duder, 2020 award winner for unpublished young adult manuscript winner, originally from Wellington Liver, now a Havelock North resider and Radio Kidnappers recording studio sitter with us today. Christina Sanders. That makes me sound really famous. It's, I like doing you this. Are, I love that. That's it, great. It, You're really so, famous. So far, that's a consistent feeling that I've been able to give everyone, and it makes me feel really good. good. <laughs> makes me feel good, too. Thank you. So, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Um, so, you've got a couple of books that we're going to be talking about, but I like to open the questioning with, who are you? What makes you, you? Because you are naturally more than just the books that you've written. Wow. That's kind of a deep question to kick off with. Um, who am I? I'm, wow, very deep. Who am I? I'm, I've been around for a while. I've done a very, had various careers doing different things. Mm-hmm. I'm a mother of three wonderful children. I'm a runner. I'm a sailor. I'm a writer and a voracious reader. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, what else am I? I don't know. I, so I, you also plant trees, I'm don't a tree you? planter, yes. I'm quite a fanatical tree planter, but I'm away a lot at the moment, so I'm not planting lots mm. of trees. But I'll be there tomorrow. We're planting a forest out at uh, Cape Kidnappers. Awesome. So that's quite cool. And that harks back. You said you like go off on tangents. It harks back to one of my books where the Norwegians come in to cut down the trees. Yes. And that's what my great-great-grandfather did. So I feel personally responsible to go out and replant trees. So awesome. I, I'm a tree planter, yes. And I like um, the sailing. We were talking earlier about what you've only recently been up to. Yes. Or yes. was it the Spirit of Adventure? The Spirit of Adventure. The ship itself is called the Spirit of New Zealand, and I'm just back from a 10-day trip. Midwinter, it was cold. Yeah. <laughs> um, and exhausting, and my brain's not really back in gear yet. I'm sort of trying to sit at the desk and get back to work, and mm-hmm. it's struggling a bit. But, um, yes, I recently have taken up sailing as part of my research a couple of years ago, I began sailing. I say sailing, the crew sail, the mm-hmm. volunteer crew mainly look after the trainees on board and help them learn sailing. So my sailing right. skills are quite limited. If you told me to go on a boat and go for a sail, I would probably struggle. But I can climb the mast with the best of them. And you had um, the, the trainees you talk about, you, you mentioned they were 17, 18-year-olds. Yeah, 16, 17, 18-year-olds, mostly right. 17, 18-year-olds. And they come from all around the country and schools often sponsor them or they can get sponsored by the local Rotary or Zonto mm-hmm. Club or something like that. And they come on the ship for 10 days and grow up, really. It's mm-hmm. an extraordinary mm-hmm. thing. It's a program they put them through. And it's um, a leadership youth development program. It's brilliant. 
That's fantastic. So you said you did it for research. Yes. They do do some sailing and displaced. Was it the research for that book or is there another book? Uh, that it's the, the research for? is for all of them. Um, I first did it because of my book, Journingham, which is oh. about the. Early and they do sail of, in that, don't they? Yeah, they do <laughs> sail in that. And, I, there's, and part of it, they go through the Cook Strait, and I wanted it to be quite a dramatic scene. It's a true story. Journingham does this. And they get they run out of everything, and the winds mm. are going all over them, and there's a storm at Cook Strait, and they can't get back into Wellington Harbour, so they're going back and forth from Cape Palliser to the South Island, and I felt I couldn't write it without. I've never been on the sea other than a ferry boat, so I thought I wanted to be on the sea in a tall sailing ship. And I thought, how do I do that? And then I saw this thing called the Spirit of Adventure, and they were running an adult coastal voyage, Ooh. which is adults, not kid trainees. So mm-hmm. the adults are helping shift the ship from that case it was Dunedin up to Nelson I thought oh that's going through Cook Strait and they were great you know I, I, I went on and I told the captain what I was doing why I was on board and he said oh well you're doing something we're going to have a look at Wairau for you so we pulled and had a look around the wrong Wairau and he took us into Port Underwood and he said this is where the Treaty of Waitangi was signed and this is where all the history these guys the crew on board know all the stuff and then we sailed back and forth trying to get into Nelson he said this is why the ships took so long because the wind's blowing the wrong way so I learned a huge amount about sailing the Cook Strait on that trip. And wow. I've since been back to Cook Strait with them. So it's just great background knowledge, um, mostly the geography, but also to know how a ship feels. You yeah. know, you can't write about that stuff without actually knowing what it sounds like mm. and, and, and knowing it, what it feels yeah, like. Yeah, and you can't open. guess what a ship's going to do in wind if you've never been on I think so, yeah. Wind. And you can, a lot of stuff you can read and talk to people. Mm. I had friends who were sailors who told me a, a bit, but it made a difference... Just, I, I like to walk my books, you know, I like to go out and experience the books and do them, and that was a good way to do that. That sort of yeah. preemptively asks, answers one of the questions that I was going to um, speak about, because we've spoken to Andrew Harris yes. about his research for his human spirit books, yes. where he goes to really extreme lengths. Mm. And I was, yeah, I was going to be asking you about, because I'm very historically illiterate. Okay. Uh, so for all I know, everything that happened in Displaced, for example, it's totally true, and that actually <laughs> happened. <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah, most of it, did. I'm, I'm, I'm big on research. Mm. Um, there are t- I've actually, I'm doing a talk on research in a couple of months with some other historical researchers, so we've been talking about this the last few days. Right. But there are different ways of doing history. One is which you have all your characters are true. So in Jerningham, 90% of the characters are true people, mm-hmm. and I put them in situations they were in, and all I do is I add dialogue. So right. I, I make them come alive and sort of colour in, if you like, the hist- historical characters. So you do it based on their actual real person's personalities and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you try to. And, yeah. and Jerningham wrote... I mean, the nice thing about the Victorians is they wrote prodigiously. So you've got all this, these yeah. diaries and journals and people writing about them as well. So another guy I'm doing this talk with, Tom Conroy's written a book about a colleague of Jerningham's, uh, Diefenbeck, the scientist. So we're talking about... He says, you know, things... He's got a bad thought toward Jerningham. He, he thought he was a bit of a scallywag and didn't like him very much. I love Jerningham. And I thought Diefenbeck was a bit cold and boring. <laughs> so we have different loves there. But it's, they're the same people, you know. Right. So, it's, so you do learn about their characters through their writing. Um, but in the, in the other one, in Displaced, I didn't know enough about the characters themselves that I want to write the story about. So I made up characters which I were see. a composite of lots of different ones. So all the characters in Displaced, apart from one, are made up. Mm. So you're, you're quite you right. Do, which you do put in at the beginning of the book that you mentioned that only one character is yes. an actual was an actual real person. Yeah, I could have put others in, but I thought the story was better told by 
I had, I had a lot of information about different people, so I just put them all together to mm-hmm. form a composite character. I didn't really have enough to make one strong character. I see. So I made that up. So there are different ways of writing historical fiction. I think the way Andrew does it is he's on the detail of the events that happen. Mine isn't that kind of history. Mine is more of a narrative and more about the characters. Right, I see. Different types of Yes, yeah, very different ways of doing it, but mm. both equally as effective Hopefully, as far yeah. as I've found from both reading Displaced and from reading um, The Sea Cliff from mm. him. Uh, so in um, speaking more, before we get into the real deep dives of the books themselves, uh, the entry on authors.org.nz says that you began your career in the book trade after you got a position in the Gateway Children's Bookshop, which well, is in Wellington? Yeah, when you say position, it was kind of, I would I would have my afternoon tea after school in the back of the shop. It was my parent's shop. Right. So I was... <laughs> that counts. It does, <laughs> it does count. Yeah. And I was the reader. So I, was say, I started at Ingwood Library because I didn't want to go home, so I'd go to the library and the books would look messy, so I'd, you know, make yeah. them look nice and there stack them all up. So yeah. I think it counts. And it yeah. does have a lifelong effect on you, doesn't it? Does. It, to, to it really does. Yeah, it does. So yeah, that was my parents' bookshop and I help with everything in unpacking and in those days there were no publishers in New Zealand so we had to indent all the books so once every couple of months we got these big big boxes of exciting books that had come from England always from England and I used to rip them apart and they were all kids books so I was the reader so I would read them all and then recommend them to people Mm. and it said something about how you uh, you were the one who tested the books on children something like that yeah that was just that was meant to be a joke some people have picked me up on that and said this is not appropriate but I mean it wasn't like I was reading pornography and and seeing it I I assume that means you just read books to kids to see if they liked them no I was the child all all the books were were tested on me I was the tester I see that that kind of must take that off I think that sounds a bit dodgy doesn't it no I think that's fine I, I test kids books on my teddy bear Okay. I read them aloud to my teddy bear. If he doesn't like them, yeah. they get donated Cleaning. to a bookshop. Yeah. yeah. I'm okay, not like weird at all, by no, the way. No, no, totally sane. Yeah. He, he's perfectly alive. <laughs> well, well I don't know. We had a fight last night. We're <laughs> oh, not speaking. No. Did, you, did you tear his arm off again? <gasps> God, no. I'm not cruel to my teddy bear. <laughs> but is your teddy bear reading picture books or junior fiction? Uh, he's still on picture books. He likes yeah. the pictures. Yeah. He likes the rhythm of the words. Yeah. You have to read aloud... And you're pretty silly if you're sitting there reading loud to yourself. So teddy yeah. bears are good. Substitute. And yeah, the kids' books with the good rhythm. Yeah, they, they can't be done in the head. They need to be they done. They need to be read aloud. Yeah, aloud. So that's what the teddy bears there for. I used to read to the cat, but the cat died last week, so I'm oh. not reading to the cat anymore. Read to the cat's memory. Maybe the cat's ghost still likes it. Oh, I don't believe in ghosts. Oh. I'll find. I'll, I've got a friendly six-year-old. I read to her a lot. Oh, yeah. I have a, a friend of mine online. He uh, he likes the stuff that I write. So when I've written something, I say, "Hey, would you like another dramatic reading?" And he goes, "Yeah, sure." So I <laughs> call him up online because he lives in the US, uh, and I read stuff to him, <laughs> and he and he gives me pretty good feedback because he's also writes stuff. Yeah. On his downtime, we had we had um, on the Spirit Adventure last week the. Kids were very, the trainees were very good at going to sleep. Mm-hmm. So one of our, the third mate, would say, all right, I will read you a good night story if mm-hmm. you will go straight to sleep. So he would go in and read a story about, uh, usually one of the Roald Dahl ones, about sort of the d- revolting, yeah. you know, the, the twisted fairy stories and things. Yeah. And the, the, the trainees would go straight to sleep. Mm-hmm. But then one night he couldn't do it. So they had the third, the second mate came along. He's a grumpy old man. And he, said that, <laughs> and he read the sort of diesel mechanics mo- notebook that was reading about some mechanical engines. Kids were gone, like two minutes. Brilliant. I mean, it would be the most boringest thing Absolutely, to listen to. Absolutely, it really is. Yeah. I feel like it would be different for me because I'd, I'd be asking questions. Yeah. <laughs> I'd yeah. be asking questions. Yeah. 
He'll what probably about, get sick you, of you. Could you go back a moment? Yeah. I'd probably be purposely annoying and just say, could you read that bit again? Yeah. It's like, how does, how does this bit fit into that bit again? Like, can you just go through mm-hmm. that again? Mm-hmm. It's a really boring diesel engine, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, you also worked in book marketing and publishing both here in New Zealand and London. Yes. Uh, what, if any, are the differences of performing that between here and England? Uh, are the practices of marketing and publishing different, or are they largely the same? Huge different. Because right. m- London is the huge centre of the world for mm-hmm. reading and writing, and millions and millions and billions of people. And New Zealand is, I don't know if I should say this on air, quite small and parochial Tensy in terms. Tensy. 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 <laughs> and and um, I, I love New Zealand books. I'm a passionate reader of New Zealand books mm-hmm. and promoter of New Zealand books, but it just it, it can't compare. Right. And I had a central London hardback sales job and I just went around all the bookshops in London and and talked to the booksellers and met the authors and went on author tours and it was magic it was really cool that sounds amazing yeah it doesn't pay though pay was rubbish I couldn't afford my rent (laughs) I I guess the magic of the job is meant to outweigh the lack of pay it's the books you read along the way the books I read along the way yeah they have a slightly different attitude there I think in those days I mean this was back in the early 80s mid mid 80s and they had publishing them was, was really Graduates of Oxbridge and Cambridge, and they had that that um, a lot of the people there probably had independent incomes. Right. So the guys I was working with all had nice houses in Dulwich, and I was living a flat in Harringay. So, <laughs> kind of, they could probably afford to be sales reps, and right. it was a bit of a challenge. <laughs> Did but, you meet anyone particularly famous or up in the up in the B or A class? Yeah, I made some stupid mistakes with famous people a couple of times. I don't really want to say them on air, but I, I, I did go up to famous people thinking I recognised them. And right. Yeah. No, I won't go there. <laughs> it is hard to recognise authors, though, I think. Because it's not like a movie star where you see them for no, ages. No, I went up to Michael Caine, and oh, I thought he no. was the... Well, I, I'm just ho- I'm hopeless with faces, and I saw Michael Caine right. standing in Harrod's bookshop, and I was going to go and meet... A man called Van Dalzik, I think, who was the book buyer. Okay. And I'd only met him once before. And I went up and I saw somebody I recognised. I thought, that's Mr. Van Dalzik. So I oh. went up to him and I made, started talking to Michael Caine. <gasps> and I did that two or three times, stupid things like that. So anyway. Well, what was his reaction? Hey, I, I think I said, um, oh, that book's selling very well and, and we've got more like that on the list and blah, blah. He looked at me and, and said, I think you've mistaken me for someone else. That's people, this is why <laughs> people should wear name badges. Everyone should just always wear well, a name Michael badge. Michael Caine should wear a, a yeah. name badge. Yeah. He probably doesn't need to, apart from idiots like me. I was, I was, I was about I, to I, say. To be fair, I wouldn't have a clue what he looks like. So, You don't know who Michael... Like. If, no, if, I have no idea what he looks like. If you heard his voice, I'm I think you'd know who it was. Off. That's yeah, the I was going to say, I would probably reckon it, but like, to go up to him, I don't think I'd see him on the street and be like, oh, that's Michael mm. Caine. I, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't recognise people. I, I met so oh. many famous people in there. Too. I did nothing with um, Richard Attenborough as well. Oh. Anyway, anyway, I'm not... Uh, I mean, that's amazing in itself, the fact that you eat, whether or not the reaction was amazing or not the fact that you got to meet these people yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah we did a lot of um we did a lot of book launches with quite famous people that was fun um the worst was probably jeffrey archer we had he was not good to work with Mm. but we had but there were yeah i mean we i was working for hodder and stalton there and they dealt with a lot of great authors and they were coming in and out we're in bedford square they were there it was very exciting wow that Mm. would be so much fun although it would be a bit disappointing if an author didn't live up to what you thought they might be like did they never did no authors are you know, yeah, quiet, <laughs> independent, sort of bit of recluse people. Yeah, recluses, and, and they don't really shine in public mostly. Either that or they're incredibly arrogant. Oh, I won't mention that who, who that was. But <laughs> <clears throat> I love, I love that we got Louise to talk about her run-in with a famous, uh, with yeah. a with a famous person oh, at, yeah. uh, at Wardini. 
she met Sam Neill. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was in, I think, with his daughter. Mm. She was looking for a specific book, and he just happened to be there, you know, taking his daughter in. And was he lovely? And Well, she, from what she, she says, that she saw him and did the sort of, oh, my God, like, the realisation. Yeah. And apparently his reaction was... <laughs> like, of course. Here I'm we here. go again. I'm just here with my daughter, and someone bloody recognises. Of course, you get to bloody recognise. <laughs> they him will. Sam Neil. But yeah. there's, you know, it's it's that it's that thing about being a celebrity where you don't really get a private life anymore. No, of course you don't. Someone's going to see. And you know, there's. She said that she he did speak very briefly to her, and he was very affable and very friendly. Of course. But just that initial reaction was, oh, cool. Okay, I've got to go into celebrity mode now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess again. so. I mean, in London, they're used to it. You can't walk down the road oh, in London. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being recognised, and it was—it's you know—they have the fans yeah. chasing them. So, but when I went up to talk to Michael Caine, I could see the—I um, could see a man coming up behind him. I sort of funny—I recognised him as well. He was going, <laughs> "Oh no!" In the background, I was going, "Oops, oops." <laughs> Never lived that one down. Oh, right, but it makes a good story now. Oh, what a good yeah, it story. makes a good story now. I've, yeah. I've got over it. Yeah. No, I haven't. I have still feel my heart racing. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's another piece from uh, from your achievements. You ha- uh, you got a graduate diploma in creative writing at Fitida. Yes, uh, that did, was an achievement. When did you acquire that? That was a couple of years ago. I wrote Journingham during that year. Right. Fantastic course. It was run by Mandy Hager, mm-hmm. who's a um, brilliant writer of young adult fiction and adult fiction. And she's cool and calm and collected and had the whole group writing and sharing and talking and opened our eyes to so much. And I learned so much more than just writing a book. So much about me. You know, we learned a lot about ourselves and a lot about other writers and history and New Zealand and politics and everything wound up in one year. It's pretty intense. That's a lot to get done in a, in a year. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of it was... Um, we went down there for the weekend, so it was a full weekend once a month. Mm-hmm. And we sat in Wellington and worked our little hearts out. It was great. But unfortunately, they canned it. They canned the course oh. a year later. Oh. Mm. Money. Lucky you got in when you did. Lucky I got in when yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. Lucky I got in when I did. And yeah. thanks to it, look at what we got. Yeah. We got, got, a book, we got a book out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so... Uh, on to the books. Your debut novel was Journingham, published yep. by the Cuba Press in 2020, yep. uh, followed by Displaced, which came out uh, in 2021 this year, published by Walker Books. Yep. I'm curious about why you had two different publishers. I had two different publishers because I wrote Displaced first, mm-hmm. a draft of it, to see if I could write a book. Right. And when I thought, yep, I can probably write a book, I put it aside and did Journeyham at the course. Uh-huh. And then Journeyham went off to a couple of publishers and I rewrote Displaced and I won an award for it. Someone said, I'll put it, I think it was um, Gareth Ward from Wardini's mm. who said, put it in to Give this it award. a go. Give it a go, because he'd won the Tessa Dura Award the year before. He did. So that, when I won the prize, that came with a publishing contract with Walker Books in Australia. And in the meantime, I had already signed up with Cuba Press in Wellington, right. who I love and who I've given my next book to, and they've accepted it. Ooh, exciting. So, that's so I'm going back to Cuba Press. That's an adult book. So I think for um, young adult, Walker, I mean, great. Mm-hmm. And I've got another one with them, the sequel to Displace, which I hope they're going to publish. There's a sequel? There's a sequel. Oh, I so hope they publish that. Oh, everyone should see the look on Jill's face right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slightly excited. <laughs> But um, so yeah, so so I'm going back to Cuba Press with the next adult. Mm. What is the next adult one about? Though I'm assuming there's still historical fiction. Still historical fiction. It's about a shipwreck. Ooh. Ooh. Off the coast of where? 
Mm. Is it New Zealand again? Do I tell you? Um, North Island, South Island, uh, not New Zealand? It, it is New Zealand. It's an island somewhere. Okay. And an island. An island. No, and I like island. it, yeah. That's all we need to know for now. <laughs> and 18, mid-1800s. And if, if you want to know more, go buy the book when it comes out. Exactly. I'll yes. let you know. Uh, because Wardini will probably stock it. They will, for sure. They'll probably do a book launch as well. They yeah. probably will. Yeah. So this is this is this is one of those stupid questions that no one should really ask, but I think it's a good jumping off oh, go platform. On, what draws or drew you to writing the most that you decided, you know what, I'm going to do this? I think it's a calling. Right. I mm-hmm. really believe it's a calling. You find people who write all their lives and they think, well... It's what I do. Mm-hmm. And it's always been what I do, but I've never really had the time or the headspace or the energy to do it. I see. You know, I mean, you, you, you work, you earn money, you look after kids. You need, I think, um, time and energy to put into writing if you want to do it seriously. Time particularly. Time particularly, yeah. yeah. And I'm not very good. An undistracted time, undistracted I think. time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also not after five o'clock in the evening when my yeah. brain turns to mind. not after you've put those kids to bed at yeah. seven you're not going to sit yeah. down and write then no you're going to sit down and have a glass of wine That's yeah what you're put do. on some crap tv so you can just like forget everything some cheese and so crackers. you find these young people in their sort of 20s who are writing these beautiful beautiful novels mm-hmm. and running full-time important jobs and have kids and, and travel and and work out at the gym and and study french in their spare time mm. and do today i think how what are they on? How do they do that? I, I, that wasn't me. So I, I waited a wee while before I started because I just had other stuff going on. Right. When you started Displaced for the first time, because you said it was the first one yes. you wrote, were you still working at that time yep. or had you taken a break? I was working. Well, did you find that hard? Um, yeah. Yeah. But I couldn't really give up the day job until... No. I'd, oh, it was my husband, actually. He said, just, just give up the day job. You know, I'll, I'll look after you. Them. Um, give up the day job and, and, and do it full time if you want to, if you think you can make a go of it. So it I'm quite pleased nice. it did. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. It was Good nice. On I'm him. very grateful to him for yeah. that. So we've got so you've we've got Journeyham and we've got Displaced. Yep. Who's the favourite child? What, my favourite child? Your favourite your favourite child out of your two books. Oh my two books. Oh, Journeyham without a doubt. Oh. I love Journeyham. He, Journeyham he's a, was yeah, good. He's a the wild, original wild child of Wellington. I love gotcha. him. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so the differences between them are Jenningham is a historical fiction for uh, Jill. You described it as sort of like a grown-up, a more grown-up mm. book. It's an adult book, whereas yeah. Displaced is explicitly a young adult book. It's kind of a different. It, it's a it's a difficult thing. I mean, there's nothing young. There's nothing um, in Displaced that is childish, mm. and I think part of it that's easier to do for historical fiction because they didn't really have childhoods then like we do now. We don't say. Um, these are books for children to read, these are books for adults right. to read. Back in the 1800s, they were reading, kids were reading Dickens if they could. You know, you read, you, there weren't really many children's books. Mm-hmm. You kind so of grew up quicker too. You grew up then. Like quicker. at 16, you, you weren't to. still at school. No, you were no. working, you were yeah. getting married at off. At 14, you know, they yeah. were working. A lot of them went to work. So that idea of this long childhood where you have special things for children, like for adolescents, we have special clothes mm. for adolescents and books for adolescents. They didn't do that. And so writing historical, you can make your characters do adult things mm-hmm. when they're 16. Whereas if you're writing a contemporary book, you kind of want to have 16-year-old issues and 18-year-old issues. Whereas for these, you could have them doing adult things because right. they were 16 but behaving... I mean, in Displaced, the girl sort of takes on the care of her family at, That's at, right, so, yeah. at 18. And I originally wrote it as an adult book. I see. And then it got a bit tangled up. And I had a friend of mine who's a, a reviewer, a very good reviewer, and said just... I had an extra storyline. Mm-hmm. She said, just take that out and rewrite it. 
more simply. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't it wasn't doing any major changes or train, change in the plot. It was just taking out some of the extraneous stuff, which was a bit black. I see. So I took out that second plot line and left the girl story in. Are we are we allowed to know what this what this cutting room floor <coughs> um, storyline is? Yeah, it was the reason. And in it, you've got a. Uh, a family who s- have to sell up the farm in Cornwall and go out to New Zealand. The Sansonets. The Sansonets. And it was the um, wife who owned the farm, who- whose farm it was. Right. Her brother owned the farm. Yes. And he went off to the States and then sold the farm because he needed money and sent them off to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of his story and why he had oh, to I leave. Oh, I see. So it was focused more around him. Around him and ah. why he and the father, he and the family's father, um, were kind of wild boys together. They were school pals. Gotcha. And they both did some pretty hideous things. I see. And that's why the Sansonet's name... Oh, you don't know the Sansonet's book. <gasps> oh! Sorry, I'm going to... We did it, everyone! We, we <laughs> got spoilers! <laughs> no, so, so, there, so in, the, in, the, in the sequel, if they publish it, um, it, it reflects back a bit, a bit on what happened and why, they were for, cool. why the, the older, that generation, were forced to leave because mm. they'd done some pretty nasty things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with the old male... Cambridge entitlement of these young educator school boys. Yes, I am. Um, I've only recently finished that because uh, I wanted to finish reading it shortly before we spoke to you, so it was all nice and fresh. Uh, and yeah, I I think I'm interested in finding out a little bit of that history, having having found out what goes on. Yes, or what yeah. went on. Yeah. Well, I think it was. Very, I mean, there were. You've got the racism, sexism, mm-hmm. classism. All those things were much, much stronger than they are now. I mean, mm-hmm. we fight. We've been fighting it all for That's a couple right. of you know, a couple hundred years. But but it was very strong in those days. Mm-hmm. And um, these men were white, entitled. Um, wealthy men. Yeah, that's that's one of the uh, themes that I... Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm usually pretty good at this stuff, but the themes of displaced largely seem to be what happens when immense pressure is put on a family, yep. um, particularly with them being forced to yes. move, as well as the role of belief and traditions, culture, society, things like that. Yes. Uh, how did you come to decide, I'm going to make a whole story surrounding that and exploring it? I the story the Norwegian story came first because mm-hmm. <clears throat> I recently discovered my Norwegian heritage and and what happened to the Norwegians when they came here right. and the tricks that were played by the government to get them here saying we will give you forty acres of land mm. and it wasn't really a gift they had to pay it back um, they had to pay back their passage mm-hmm. and they were told they were getting farmland and they got really heavy bush so there was kind of a bit of trickery that came over and it did make me a bit angry right so I um, we don't swear on this program do we? I was going to put that differently but it did make me a little <laughs> bit angry um, and. I wanted to explore that a bit, but mm. I didn't want to tell their story because I wasn't close enough to it. I didn't understand I the Norwegians enough. So I bought them the Cornish girl. And But those themes, if you do anything in Victorian times, those are the themes you're looking at. It's, mm-hmm. it's it was such an interesting time, you know, that all that all those changes that were happening in society all over the world, really, but particularly yeah. in Britain and America with the Industrial Revolution going on and mm-hmm. the society was being disrupted and there was a lot of... There were so many double standards. I mean, you see that all over anything in Victorian times. Oh, yeah. You have these these men who, who are running brothels but but keeping their, their women safe and not letting... Yeah, you know, the, the women of, can't mingle with the men women can't marriage mingle and, and yeah, stuff like and, and yet that. the men were going out and, and having brothels. And um, that still goes on probably. But there's but all sorts of double standards in all sorts of ways. Um, and I... I, I like that. I like that. Te- that's. I mean, you look for tension in a book. It's, if you're writing something, you need tension. Well, that's how you write a good story: mm. tension and resolution. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. and it's awfully dramatic. 
I love I love uh, that those Victorian times for that for that tension you yep. get. It's it's very, because we have period dramas about that all the time yeah. now. Te- yeah. Television oh, yeah. shows and yes. films. Yeah. Uh, it's it's always a lot of fun. And it's they, all the independent women start coming out in that kind of era. Show books and stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, they do. Yeah. The thing we have to remember though is that I've got a bit of a thing about kick-ass heroines in Victorian novels and, and TV dramas and things because mm. they weren't kick-ass and it would have been shocking if they had been. So mm. it's all very well having a kick-ass heroine. You get the but woman who's forced fit, to be kick-ass. It? Well, it does. The were woman who really went out of their way to be to do something dramatic. And, like, and uh, what was her name? Serenity, I believe? Serenity. She she's a pre- true character. She was a preacher. Yeah. Oh. She's yeah. a true character. She she's was, an amazing character. She was yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. She, she's based on an Australian character but um, she was slightly different because she was, I mean, she was a woman and she was a young woman, but she was with the Methodist Church, so they mm. looked after her. But any woman you get who's going to be a pirate or is going to go and be right. political or is going to be a suffragette, these women were extremists and they were, they, they, they did exist and they were very feisty, but they were loathed. I was going to say, they That's didn't right. really get, be out, they couldn't walk down the street. No, no, they couldn't. And, and not they, be looked at with disgust yes and, and they wouldn't be pipe. good company yeah. the, the decent people wouldn't invite them into the houses or if they did the woman might the men would shun them and it, it'd be as, as shocking today as, as I mean if you had women who were sitting around you know with their legs apart scratching and this sort of stuff and burning <laughs> the table you think oh, that's not very nice you know, mm. they haven't got very good yeah. manners I don't they, think that's very nice no I'm sure it's not very nice for <laughs> no. no, but it's that <laughs> idea that um, these they, they were not behaving in a feminine way and that was very important in Victorian right. times and once women, again the tradition of it tradition of it so women could be strong and they could look after their family in a strong mm-hmm. way but they couldn't take on men's roles and if they did that was not a feminine thing and they were disliked so some people get that wrong they have these kick-ass heroines that everybody loves because they assume that they'd be treated like they would be nowadays yeah, which they wouldn't be i no, mean look what happened wouldn't. to joan of arc she was a kick-ass hero that's that's right. at stake, so. perhaps in a small circle they're treated very nicely and they really like it but the the culture and society as a whole looks at them and goes hang on yeah you need mm. to stop that Yes. Because there are some moments in Displaced where uh, Eloise, the, I hesitate to say main character because there's a few of them, um, says, talks about uh, what Serenity has been saying, which is very pro-feminine. Yes. Pro-feminist. Mm, yes. And one of the other characters says, oh, you haven't been listening to her, have you? Yeah. And yeah. It, that little phrase in itself encapsulates the vibe that was going on yeah. during Victorian times. Oh, you mm. haven't been listening to what a woman says. Yeah. How dare you? That's <laughs> a ridiculous notion. Especially an extremist woman. Like, That's ooh, right. Yeah. How bad? But you have to, sometimes it's it's quite hard writing historical fiction because you have to put your head into their mindset and you can't mm. bring your own thoughts into it. So I can't, I am a feminist, but mm-hmm. I can't mm. have feminist characters because that would have been anathema. So I have to throw a few things in there so people can say oh that's a ridiculous notion and I want the readers to do exactly what you've done saying mm-hmm. of course it's not a ridiculous notion so you want to sort of push those buttons with your readers yep. um, and with other things too particularly with racial things mm-hmm. you can't they, they were racist they were racist they, yep. they, yeah. they and that it, happens in Displaced as well when they find out uh, when they're talking to Hemi yeah yep. yeah and oh, he's got a family, and they wear hats, and they go to church. Really? Why hadn't I thought of that? So you want to kind of introduce this so that um, the I want the reader to be confronted by it without me having to say it, mm-hmm. and you trust that your readers will do that. It's a bit embarrassing if the readers come back and say, "Oh, you racist, writing a book like that." You're like, well, you didn't get it, but you do get a bit of that. Often, that is what young adult. We've talked about this sort of thing so many times mm-hmm. before, but it, I think it always bears repeating. Young adult books often do that. They have some central theme or multiple themes, and they dress it up in the, narr- in oh, the yeah. narrative. Yeah. And y- 
the audience, the target audience of young adult books are able to take that in and start to think about these things in more complex ways, yes, rather yes. than just what's on the surface. Yeah, which is which is how people learn. This is what books are for. That's isn't right. It? Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Every, everyone should read everything. Uh, <laughs> I, I once asked someone who is a writer. I said. Um, uh, I asked, what what are, what are some of your favourite books? You know, what would you recommend reading? Yeah. And and his answer was all of them. <laughs> he said all books sh- are worth reading. I mean, Every even, single one. Even of them. bad books, you take stuff from bad. Can we books. just go back to Jeffrey? No, no, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some books we could miss, but yes, yes, all books are worth reading. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in the acknowledgement section No, I've thought of, of another No, sorry, go on yes. <laughs> <laughs> We'll just start a list of books Christina says don't read yeah. And, we yeah. will, and we will also end up with a list of authors Who will never come on this show <laughs> yeah, That's right, no, I would, I, would, I would never just a New Zealand author But saying that, I think that the books that aren't Well, uh, yeah, yeah, read everything But I think once you get it but It's like um, anything, you get an acquired taste mm. So you might only eat cheddar cheese And then you discover a taste for blue cheese and this sort of thing You might drink rubbish wine and you discover a taste for nice wine It's hard to go back to the rubbish mm-hmm. And I think with books it does get like that I find it very hard to read books I don't mind books that are slow or books that are about subjects I don't understand, but what I don't like is a book that's Carelessly written right. And is full of cliches yeah, and I don't like ones that are poorly edited. Uh, no, oh. They frustrate me yes. as well. It's like take yeah. some time, people, edit. Yeah, and I've just finished quite a big chunky book, and it was a great story. It's about the um, uh, Bletchley Park during the war. Yes, a rose code, I think it's called. And I love really interesting book. I loved it actually. Louise Ward recommended it to me, so I thought it was a great book. But um, a shiver ran down her spine. Oh come on! And oh. they had a kiss, and she came up for air. Oh, really? I mean, uh, uh, authors shouldn't do that. You that, should be able to describe well, the uh, What felt uh, like an eternity. Yeah. The, <laughs> <laughs> somebody, the editor, should have got a red pen and slashed out, and it would have been great. But that's mm. sloppy editing. But also mm. a writer shouldn't be doing that. So things like that, I read that, and I think, oh, and it suddenly takes me out of the narrative, and I think this is not good. So so, so yeah. that that's a silly example, because actually it was a very good book. But you find a lot of books that are written mm-hmm. badly. And sometimes you're reading a book, and you're really into it, and then just one line comes up, and you read it, and you go... Oh, okay. and you're like you're that. Yeah, 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 instantly right. taken that's, out of the world with that right. one line. Yeah. You're like, "Yep, I'm not in there anymore." Yeah. So that, I mean, but those books, sure, you can still read that. I mean, I read trash when I'm on holiday as well. But, but <laughs> there's a time and place for that sort of book. Yeah, though, yeah isn't I, suppose, there? I suppose so. Mm, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. I, I, like, I like the books that describe stuff really well. So I'm reading a western at the moment. Yeah. And there's just one of the ways he described one of the characters that was walking towards us. You just got that whole image in your mm-hmm. head, and it's like. How'd you pick those words? Yeah. Yeah. Put them in that order. Yeah. And like, it was just amazing. No, not at all. It was but from like the 1800s, Luke. I don't think they had the thesaurus.com. <laughs> but I love that idea that no one else ever has put those words together yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it made, I could just see the guy walking towards lovely, me on it? that dirt road. I quite like Westerns. Yeah. I think we should do in New Zealand, um, we should have New Zealand equivalent of Westerns. So this guy, it's the same, exactly the same thing. You got this conflict with the two cultures coming yeah. together. We could do them with a bit more empathy than the Westerns yep. were, which are very racist. But mm. if we had, I mean, that's a huge genre we have here. There are so many millions of stories about we could write early those. New Zealand, and it would be just brilliant. Yep. Whole well, well, nice funny you should say that, because it certainly seems like you're writing those books. You are the one <laughs> oh, sort of at the forefront idea. writing yeah. them. Oh, there are a lot of others. I'm not mm. the only one out here at the moment. There's a lot of people in the space. Perhaps now you yeah. need a coalition. A coalition, yeah. <laughs> coalition mm. of authors writing all of these different... Be good, eh? Yeah, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun to read. 
A lot of fun to write. Oh, yeah, I oh, bet. Yeah. And the discussions you could all have while you're researching a book, would yeah. I bet that would be amazing. I met, I met this extraordinary woman for the first time. I met her a couple of days ago, but we'd been, we were asked by The Sapling to do a co-interview. Her name is Joanna Groshevich, and she writes stories about um, Shackleton and Amundsen, and she's researching another one. So we did this co-interview, and we were just online, so we never met her. And then she came down to meet me off the spirit, and I went back to her place for lunch. And her bookshelf has got my books on it. Wow. And she had a copy of the original Jerningham, the original His Diaries yeah. on her shelf. And I looked at, she, she writes the same era a bit later than I do. And, and we just had, we sat and talked, her husband looked at us and thought, are you still talking about that? <laughs> for hours and hours. She drove me to the airport, yabby, 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 yabby. Wow. And she was doing all the stuff about, do you call Inuits Inuits or Eskimos? Because they should be Eskimos because in that day they didn't have the, and, and, and it's mm. the same we have with calling Maori Maori or, or natives or how yeah. you call them and who you're going right. to insult and what's. And, and these conversations with somebody else is on the same page. Yeah. And how true are you to your characters, and how how much do you, uh, do you make believe your characters, and when do you step in, and you can go on. I mean, yeah, historical writers they 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 party well. Like. History, particularly, <laughs> it's super important to maintain verisimilitude because otherwise it will pull you out of the story. Yes, if we're using modern day language. Uh, and we're putting in as dialogue that these characters from 17, 18, 1900s are saying, you'd go, hold on a minute. Yeah. We, we never, and even if you're not a, his, a history major, you know culture. Yes. And you think they wouldn't say that back then. Yeah. They, they mm-hmm. wouldn't say Inuit, they would say Eskimo. Yes. We understand now yep. that it's not a term that should be used, but back then they would use it. Yeah, but it, it just it, it's quite it is quite confrontational. I mean, when I wrote Journingham, I had and I was doing a um, a workshop with a Maori woman, mm-hmm. and she was she was really upset that I'd use the word natives all the time. I see. And in those days, they were talking about natives as and these people are native to New Zealand, like mm-hmm. they have native trees that mm-hmm. this country belongs to them. This is their country, mm-hmm. and they meant it because uh, they didn't mean it in a derogatory way. They were talking about savages if they wanted right, to be derogatory yeah. or heathens. But natives was just a word they used, and the word Maori wasn't really used at all. Mm-hmm. So it would have been wrong to me for me to use the word Maori, although I did in quite a few occasions because I just heard it, it grated when I had. Them talking about natives all the time. Right. So, and that's in, in dialogue, you'd use natives, but perhaps in text, you say the yeah, description. Yeah. yeah. So, it's quite, it's not really that simple. You, yeah. So, now if I'm just, and also, um, do you use uh, Maori spelling, Maori pronunciations, and, 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 or, you know, uh, how, how do you work that? Is, yeah. Does Fongan have an H? Does it not have an H? Um, do you say pitoni or do you say pitoni? Right. All, there are lots and lots of things you have to consider, and every one of those decisions is kind of unique to the book. Especially when you're doing historical fiction. Especially because, historical because fiction. you will have people who who are real history buffs. Yes. I'm not one of them, but there are people who are reading this, maybe with a little side agenda of going, let's see how accurate this I is. I love that. Come on, come <laughs> on. Bring it on. Bring them on. Yeah, bring it on. There you go. Call her bluff, everyone. Yeah, come on, let's have it. <laughs> So in the acknowledgement section of Displaced, you mention, quote, my Larson family who emigrated from Norway all those years ago. Yes. And there's a particularly apt character in Displaced, Lars, yes. likely because of that. Um, could you tell us more about that side of your family, what you what you know now that maybe you didn't know back then? Um, what I know, I know, I've been to the piece of land they got when they came in from Norway in right. um, Norswood. There's somebody who's done this wonderful book about all the early settlers of Norswood. I think it's called Norswood, A Settlement History, A History of Settlement. Um, and that you just buy it from the cafe in Norswood. I, it was a photocopied edition, huge thing. But it detailed all the different um, settlers, what ships they came on, 
there's um you know what their jobs were he was a laborer i think my anders larsen my descendant was a laborer um but they had um the children's names and ages and the block of land they had when they sold it for someone else what they paid for it uh, the churches that came in. So a lot of history of wow. Norswood is there. It's a fantastic so, yeah. book. Yeah, really good. So I can actually go through and walk around and, and walk past his land. Mm-hmm. Um, although I didn't... My people aren't the Larsons. Right. So I may, I, I invented a character... I invented um, them who... They, they weren't... They weren't... that Those people weren't on the ship because I didn't want... You've got to be very careful you don't upset other people's relations. Mm. So I invented the family. I, right. know, I didn't know enough about my, my own family to write my family because we don't have documents. I see. So I sort of invented a family. But they came, um, the Larsons came in 1872. Mm-hmm. They had um, six children, I think, and they all made it to adulthood, which is quite phenomenal. It yeah. is. And um, they're buried in the cemetery in Mangatanoka. Wow. Mm. So we quite often go and sit on the grave. and That's wonderful. Sit. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's a nice well, story. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. yeah. More than 100 years ago, you can go back and... You can yeah. say you can say hi. How's it going? Yeah, yeah. No, we do. We we always bring friends over and we bring them to Mangatanoka and we say, and they think, oh, go to Mangatanoka. We'll go and see the Tui Brewery. And I was mm-hmm. going, no, we won't. I've got a better idea. Yeah, we'll go and see my. <laughs> We've got a better plan. Yeah. yeah. So we quite often go there and have a little sit on the grave mm. and have a chat to them. Have you told them about the book? I have. I've asked them if it's all right. I've read yeah. s- read bits of it to them, and that's really cool. Grave grave didn't roll over, and mm. no more cracks in it than there <laughs> earlier on. So it seems are you going are you going to read them a chapter each time you go, and just over time you'll. Perhaps. Just pick out <laughs> no. good bits. Yeah. <laughs> I just sit and have a little chat. They seem quite happy there. It's yeah. a nice place. Beautiful cemetery. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. It's nice yeah. when the cemeteries are kept in good knit. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, so also in the acknowledgements, you mentioned that the Tessa, is it Tessa Duda? Tessa Duda. Tessa Duda storylines are what made the publication of Displace possible. Yes. So um, I had here is the award what caught the attention of publishers, but you said that it came with yes. a publishing contract. It comes with the contract. So if you win the award, you are um, eligible for a contract with Walker Books. Right. How many of those awards are given out each year? One. Is it just one? Just one. one? Wow. And it's not always given out. It's only given out if there's a book they like enough to want to publish. So it's a huge achievement for you. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I think so, yeah. It was certainly changed my life. And the other wonderful thing was I met Tessa Duda, who coincidentally, Ooh. we become quite good friends, but coincidentally she has been um, part of the spirit of New Zealand, which I didn't know. And we, oh. we didn't have that connection until afterwards we discovered it. But she has been part of the board of the Spirit of New Zealand. Her mm-hmm. husband set it up and all those things. So they know, she knows an awful lot about being at sea. She's done a lot of sailing. Mm-hmm. Her books are all about sailing. Um, so a lot of her books she's written about sailing. So she knows a lot about that area. And so we sit and talk about sailing and the spirit. Mm-hmm. So she, she will have been a wealth of information for you for the research. No, no, because I, I didn't know any of that until after. after. So I... After I won the award, she wrote me a congratulatory letter, mm. and I said, oh, "I'm off sp- sailing on the Spirit." And we started talking, and we met and talked about. It. Wow! So we, we found this kind of cool, though. That you, yeah, you found that connection after, yeah, and you're still, yeah. you're both really entwined in it, really. Yeah. Well, I think perhaps she liked the book because it had all that sailing mm. in it. Um, it's very cool. Yeah. She's a neat lady. She's I a really loved her lady. books when I was younger. Yeah, I, I yeah. read all her books. Always went to the library to see if there's a new one in there because I don't think I quite realised that books have to wait to be published and blah, blah, blah. I just thought there might be a new one on the shelf that I hadn't read yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, she's great. Yeah. Uh, so we've got... Um, we've, I'm, I'm running out of content here, incredibly. 
uh, but I've had a fantastic time. So, Journeyham, you know more about it than I, Jill. I do. Because I have gone, I have read Displaced, you've read both. I can't believe Journeyham was only released last year, though. I, I feel know, like it's, it's been in my life for quite some time. <laughs> He's been in my life for quite some time. He sort yeah. of turns Well, I only him. met him after you'd written the book. So. Yeah. But, you know, I feel like he's been there for a while. Well, I'm, I'm, people don't know about him. I mean, he's a no. name that's sort of been forgotten, although I don't know why he's been forgotten, because he's he was huge. He was quite a big deal, yeah. according to your book. He was only there, he was there for four years, and then he went back to London, but he did come back and stood as an MP and this sort of thing. Um, but a lot of what we know about early Wellington is through Journeyham, because he wrote these journals, and a lot of them are made up and he's the hero of every adventure and he's he's you know uh, you can take the picture he's a storyteller he's a storyteller but also he was very very accurate with recording things and he went and had a he had a very very good eye and a good memory and a beautiful turn of phrase Mm -hmm. but he would do things like he went out to kapiti and went on the whaling ships there and spent a week with the whalers because he wasn't he was officially secretary to his uncle who was running the new zealand company but he just went off and did his own thing so he was 19 years old he was out there to have a good time and he went out and worked with the sailors for mm-hmm. a, you know for a couple of weeks wild and child well he was a wild yeah. child um <laughs> he just wanted to have a bit of fun yeah. experience life while he could yeah. that's how i interpreted it yeah and it. nowadays we're a bit more lenient to the missionaries hated him of course yeah. because things you don't do the things he was doing if you're mm. a missionary so he was it's not proper no it's not proper it's oh really proper. god no he was not proper yeah. But did you, have you do you know about the did you know about the Wakefield family? What happened? No. Anything about early Wellington? I well, as I say, I'm very historically illiterate. So uh, with displaced, I was reading all this, and then um, there was the mention Northwood, and I went, "Oh my god, the Norwegians with Northwood, duh!" And that makes sense. Dana Burke, I did Dana that. Burke, yeah, exactly. I did that too, Luke. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, it hadn't even dawned on me until I'd read through Displaced. I thought, oh, that's where it came from. Yeah. I, I think I already knew that, but I didn't know that I knew it. Yeah, well, I, I've been driven up and down through Northwood all my life, and it mm-hmm. never occurred to me that I had any connection with it until very late. You know, it's just yeah. we don't we don't do a lot yeah. of history. Eh? And so the thing that surprised me with Displaced is I think it was towards the start of something you make reference to how Napier looks different because it hasn't had the earthquake. Yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh. Yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. hasn't, has it? It, 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 it never happened at that time. Yeah. <laughs> Napier here, we seem to think Napier started in 1931. That's yeah. when everything that's, starts that's in That's when it looks like how it looks, yeah. But obviously. then they had this beautiful big lagoon and, and Māori, yeah. but they lived there. Because that all got pushed upward. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And Ahuriri was a huge settlement because mm-hmm. all that beautiful lagoon, all the oh, kaimawana yeah. and stuff there, it was a, it was a very... Um, you know, sea basket. It was great there. Mm. Mm. So it was very different there. A book that I've been trying to find something that will have some, of one obviously interesting content about, but also historical content about, is that my family were are distantly related to the Huguenots. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm. There's no. There's barely any information about those people. Did they come to New Zealand? I know uh, they're big in Canada. I think they, uh, they, some of them came to New Zealand, but just the history of them, I found it really fascinating when I was told just a small bit of it, and I thought, oh, I want to know more about that, yeah. but I haven't found anything that's really substantial. So if you want to find out about something historical, mm. what would you like to read, fiction or non-fiction? What, what, what? I think, in, in the vein of Displaced, I quite enjoyed the, yeah. when I, because after I finished it, I thought, Okay, and I just sort of think about it for a while, and it wasn't until today that I thought, yeah, I think I understand why the bits that I didn't like I didn't like, and why the bits I did like I did like. Yeah. Because we mentioned at the at the top of the show that Andrew Harris, he's very detailed. Yes. You're very character driven. Yes. And I think I'm more of a detail 
I like detail more, but I also like interesting characters that are really compelling. But Andrew's also very plot driven. He is. So it's yeah. it's it grips you. It's a gripping story. Mm-hmm. So it's it's different to history where they have to be true to the fact. And if there wasn't a good resolution, or if there wasn't a dramatic resolution, you just kind of keep going. You with keep the going. Flow. And I think most of history, there's it, it doesn't work like mm-hmm. fiction. It, it's things happen. You get really excited, and then it sort of disappears. Yeah. So writing fiction, you can kind of give us our expectation yeah. if at the end of it you're going to have a resolution the good guys are going to win or lose the bad guys mm. are going to get their comeuppance all that sort of stuff but reading non-fiction you it don't really get that it doesn't always go the way you want I, it no and sometimes nothing is resolved yeah that's right which I, always annoys me we, we actually talked about this before you came in today Jill and I were talking about the ending of Displace and yeah. Jill said it was really good and I said I don't know I think I would have liked it if that hadn't happened and she said what no and I said it would have just been more dramatic no, uh, no. I would have I, I think it would have been way more dramatic because it would have been the pull the rug out like no it didn't have the oh my god that's what I find I, I'd like to know what that is <laughs> I, was, I was upset enough thinking it may not end how I wanted I don't think I could have handled it but it hasn't ended can I say it hasn't ended because yeah I'm sequel. excited by that mm. so that's much. right that's mm. right and uh, okay. I will tell you if you disappoint me I will probably disappoint you Jill sorry <laughs> no but you can there, okay so there's Sometimes I'm disappointed at the start of a book, but by the end of it, it's been redeemed. And I'm not disappointed, because overall the story's way better than I thought it would be. Oh, there you go. So I'm hoping for that. Mm, okay. Yep. The other thing is the publisher who's accepted it has just uh, retired, I think, in oh. Australia. So I don't know quite what's happening there, but hopefully it'll be out next year. Mm. So hopefully it's not a long wait. Yeah. Does the, um, you said the next adult book, is yes. that a, the Cuba Publishers. Cuba Press, yeah. 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 Is it got a release date yet? No, no. No. But I want to do it before August because my mother-in-law, who's a feisty old dame, turns 100. Wow, and this August. I'm dedicating it to her, so I want... Wow. I probably shouldn't say that unless she doesn't know that yet. Um, wow, spoiler alert. Ma- ma- she lives in Canada, in Toronto, so she's probably not listening to Radio Kidnappers, but you don't know. She might find <laughs> she, the podcast. She, she might, might find She it. might Google your name and she it might, might come up. yeah. Um, she's 100 I don't know how much Googling she does but she'll be 100 and I'm dedicating the book to her so I'm hoping it comes out for yes. her 100th birthday that would be that awesome would be cool, eh? yeah that would be a good birthday good birthday, birthday present eh? yeah. yeah it would be amazing finally the uh, daughter-in-law's done something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've done a ton you've done uh, a lot yeah I was going to say from the credits that we've said but you've done a lot in your life yeah. a lot of amazing stuff I feel I've had quite a boring life until now. I think it's just starting to warm up now. So oh, yeah. keep it going. Well, Probably. you're also learning about uh, about your ancestry, so that makes the things a little bit more it does. exciting. Yeah, I, I guess that sort of comes with the territory of writing historical fiction or non-fiction. You you might learn something about yourself that you didn't. Hell yeah! And the little bit that you found was, oh my god, I've got this. I've got these Norwegians. But also learning about New Zealand history, I felt. When I started learning this stuff, I felt so ignorant. Yeah, I grew up in Wellington. Mm-hmm. We and don't I, learn much of our own history, though, do we? But we should. You know, we should. Well, I thought, well, why is that called Bolton Street? Why is that called this? Why That's is right. it? The I always why is wonder about statues Street? we have places that I usually take selfie photos with. It's like, hey, who, who even is this dude? Well, it's probably Wakefield, and he probably should be cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> had, had a red band put on his head and we've put got, away. We've got because we've got those lion statues in Cornwall Park here. Oh, I don't know yeah. why they're there. I don't know either. There's, there's some really awesome. statues, and I don't know why they're there, but they look really cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, we probably should have pukekos or something, shouldn't we, rather yeah. than lions. We didn't have a lot of lions roam around New Zealand, so mm. it's obviously a colonial throwback. Yeah, British thing. It's probably yeah. a, off someone's coat of arms or something. Yeah, I, I, I've got a thing about statues. I think statues of people should perhaps be in 
museums or yes. biographical museums yep. or whatever yeah. they are. I, I don't actually like... I don't understand them necessarily when they're in a park. No. Well, I understand why they were there originally, because they should be revered, yeah. in which case we should take them down like this. Put some swings up and call swings. it their swings, and then we can enjoy and get fit-ish. Because we have yeah. benches we that have a plaque saying, this was placed in honour of so-and-so. That's yeah. fine. But I have a statue saying, you know, this is an important man. That's right. Um, and the birds are going to poop on you. Yeah, that's, yeah, right. that's fine. But put the important men in the museums, put some important women in there with them. Make yes. Them yeah, we don't have enough important women statues. That's right. No. We really don't. Because they weren't kick-ass enough back in the day. That's changing. Well, they probably were, <laughs> but they weren't considered it. They're just considered to be priors. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So the last question that I always try to ask people, what is a question that you are never asked, but you would like to be asked? We've had a few interesting answers. We've had some people saying that they want to be asked who their favourite film director is. Uh, Rebecca Lagos said that she wanted to be asked, would you like a sandwich? <laughs> that was her answer. I, I, I think I'd probably like to ask who, who I'd like to play my characters when the book gets Peter, oh. picked up by Peter Jackson and oh. turned into a movie. That sounds who, cool. Um, who would you well, like to Journey, play? When I, when I wrote Journeying Him, yeah. unfortunately it's not going to work because he's dead now, but I had a picture of a young Alan Rickman on my wall. Oh, he would have I made a his voice. He would have been perfect. I had a picture of him young. And when I used to write things back and forth to the Cooper Press, I'd always have a picture of Alan Rickman dressed up in a top hat and I'd sort of Photoshop <laughs> a, a thing saying, stop here. And, and mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd always have lots of little things of Alan Rickman. Right. So I would like Alan Rickman to be reincarnated at about 20 years old when wow. he was incredibly handsome, playing Jerningham. He would make a very good Jerningham. Would. Who, who would you have playing Eloise? I don't know. I had a picture of a woman. She was a model. I don't know who she was. I mm-hmm. found her on the internet and I put right. a picture up there. I've got, I'd like a young Kate Winslet. Often these people are far too, oh. not for Eloise, but for a, the, the shipwreck story. I would like right. a young Kate Winslet. Mm-hmm. And I had her there. I suppose because of Titanic. That actually hadn't occurred to me before. <laughs> there you go. Cause well, she does shipwreck exactly. very well. So you know that she'll well. That's the podcasting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so we will finish out with uh, talking about the Wardini events, yes. who, whom you are pretty well in with. I love Wardini is really uh, well in with pretty much every author in New so. Zealand, as far as I can and tell. And a fair chunk of book readers, because yeah. they're wonderful. Uh, yeah. So they've got Amy's pop-up young adult book club. Oh, young adult? I know a book yeah. that they could read. Oh, they've yeah. read it, I think. <laughs> at, excellent, good. Uh, at 5pm Saturday, 24th of July, at Wardini Havelock, they, they explicitly say there will be snacks and friends. So Yay. go go have and some snacks. And you don't have to be a young adult to go. Yep, go go go. Make some snacks and have some yeah. friends. And yep. take your teddy bear with you. <laughs> yeah, he he doesn't get out that much. He uh, has come to be on this show before though, because Luke is. didn't believe that I would bring him. <laughs> sure, he doesn't talk very much. Though. One of those strong, silent types. He talks yeah. a lot when oh. it's just me around. Okay. He's a bit shy around others. Odd. They've got uh, women's health evening at six pm Wednesday, twenty eighth of July at Wardini Napier. Uh, they say from they say Dr. Samantha Newman has found herself recommending certain books on aspects of women's health and identifying a need for information and support in her community. Interesting. So if you want to learn about women's health, uh, I imagine if you're if if I turned up, I'm sure they wouldn't turn me away because I want to learn stuff too. Fine. Uh, and it's always worth learning something uh, about something that you don't know anything about. Uh, then they've got one of their big ones, Napier Wardeni Books Napier's fifth birthday party. Oh yes, yes, yes. Six PM Friday, sixth of August at Wardeni Napier. They say join us for chats, strolls around beautiful bookshelves, a mulled wine, cool. magical happenings, mm-hmm. conversations, and a couple of mind-blowingly fabulous tunes from World Musos Ish. 
which your guess is that that is um, pretty Louise's, sure Louise's, Louise's, Louise's yeah. music yeah. group. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Yeah, that'll be. I'll be there. And yeah. they say, everyone is welcome. Please come party with us. Sounds cool. Yes. And just before we go, they've got one other event that they had on. So uh, don't forget, if you want to check out these events, go to their Facebook that's right. page. They list uh, them all there. This, uh, this last one, it is, if I can bring it up, uh, Harry Ricketts Selected Poems, Saturday 14th of August at 4pm, Wardini Books, Napier. Exciting. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Christina, thank you so much for speaking to us. Thanks yes, for having me. Thank you for hanging. Thanks, Wardini Books, for sponsoring us. I've been Luke. I'm still Jill. I'm Chris. <laughs> we love you all, guys. Imagine people complexly and take care. See you next time. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.